If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Tales from the Plinth. And today, we're very happy to be joined by our special guest, Dr. Dan Janader from TikTok. You might know him as the most famous PT on TikTok. Dan, say hey. Hey, what's going on? Happy to be here. So Dan, why don't you give us a little background on life before TikTok, where you graduated from school, kind of where you're working now. Gotcha. So I'm born and raised in Poughkeepsie, New York. It's a town about 60 miles north of Manhattan. Uh, I decided to go to the university at Buffalo, Gold Bulls, the largest state university uh, in the state of New York. I went there because I had the opportunity to play on the baseball team there. And also they had a pretty good physical therapy program. And I was pretty sure at that time that that was something that I was looking to do. I did the four plus three program. So I have my bachelor's degree in exercise science. I chose that so that I would get a full four-year baseball experience. And then I also stayed at Buffalo for my physical therapy schooling. I did internships all over the country. I did physical therapy internships. We get five at the University of Buffalo. I did did one in Manhattan. I did one in Boston, Massachusetts. I did one in San Francisco. Uh, I made, and then I made sure that my last one was in Indianapolis, Indiana, because that's where I knew I wanted to be because that's where my girlfriend was in dental school. And I started off at a large chain outpatient orthopedic clinic. Um, After about a year, I became the clinic director there. And after a year after that, I got recruited to open up the outpatient physical therapy clinic inside the state government center uh, in downtown Indianapolis. And that was kind of my, my road to, to where I'm at right now. I am still with the same company that runs the, the physical therapy clinic inside the state government center. I know you were talking a little, a little bit before the podcast, but can you kind of explain how that clinic inside that state center works? Sure. So uh, it's through a really cool company. The name of the company is TX Team. We have a lot of physical therapy clinics inside hospital systems, a few inside SNFs, um, and a few inside places of business. Uh, We have no, as a company, we have no brick and mortar physical therapy clinics. We basically just operate physical therapy clinics inside other bigger places. Um, We have a physical therapy clinic inside the state government center. We have one inside the headquarters for finish line. We have uh, the physical therapy clinic inside the headquarters of Nintendo uh, out in Seattle and a a few other across the country. So the clinic inside the state government center is our biggest clinic, I would say, because inside the state government center in downtown Indianapolis on a given non-COVID day, there are about 8,000 employees that come into work. It's a huge campus. And alongside me, uh, we work in a a big clinic and we have a PA, we have a medical assistant, we have a nutritionist, we have a psychologist, we have a dentist, 
and optometrists all for use of the employees that work there that are under the state's insurance plan. And I am the physical therapist. All physical therapy sessions are one-on-one -on -one for a full hour, uh, but billed as a normal insurance-based outpatient physical therapy experience. So they get all the benefit of going through insurance, having the same rate that they would have at any outpatient chain, but all the benefit of A, being right where they work, and B, uh, having a one-on-one -on -one experience. That's, I've never heard of a system like that. I think that's, that's super that's cool. awesome. Yeah, especially no, the, I'm sorry, especially the like one-on-one -on -one care that you get, that just doesn't happen anywhere anymore. No, it's really neat. And I live in downtown Indianapolis. My apartment is less than a mile away. And when I got recruited for this position and they told me I can basically set my own hours, it's all one-on-one -on -one care and it's less than a mile from my apartment. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't sign on fast enough. So it sounds like, I mean, you told us before that you graduated in 17. That's only four years ago. I mean, it, you've moved like really fast, I guess, up the chain, if you will like from being a clinic director and then getting like recruited, what do you think kind of led to that? Was it a kind of a mixture of like, you know, hard work plus like the right circumstances or what's like a, what do you think led you to where you are now being only a few years out of school? I think a lot of it was just knowing what I wanted and making sure that every situation I put myself in aligned with what I wanted. So I took my last clinical internship at the first company that I worked for uh, because I knew I wanted to be in Indianapolis. And the second I got there, I made it clear to them, this is my last internship. I want to work here. This is where I want to be. And I was hired on in my second week of that internship, even though I didn't end up starting until after uh, I officially graduated. And then once I started working there, um, in meetings with higher ups and things like that, when you have the classic, what, where do you see yourself? What, how do you feel like you can grow in this company? I said, well, for me, the clear next step is to be a clinic director. That's what, that's what I want. And so at the time, the company offered all kinds of continuing ed classes and things like that. And I signed up for all of them. And then, uh, my clinic director that, was there when I first started, ended up moving back home to New York. Uh, he was also from New York. And when he moved, I sent an email to all my higher ups and said, I wanna be interviewed, I want this job. I know the clinic, I know the employees, like I think I deserve it. And then based on you know, all the continuing ed that I had put in, based on the fact that they knew that that's something that I wanted from the get go, I, I kind of won the position. Um, and then how I got this job, it was actually through a connection that I made after becoming clinic director. There was another clinic director uh, at, a, at a, another clinic, maybe about 20 minutes away, who heard about another opportunity with this company, and he ended up leaving. And then when it became time to open, he kind of put my name in, in their ear, and they reached out to me and recruited me pretty hard to, to be the one that, that came and took that job. So it was just a lot of it was making it very clear to people, this is what I want, and then making sure that I did everything that would give me that opportunity on black and white resume paper. I love that. It's kind of like set your mind to your goals and just go get them. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, a, it's a great mindset. Yeah. I mean, 
and it's good for all of us to hear too because we're coming up into you know we're in our second clinicals right now but we'll be in our third one soon enough and we'll have to start making decisions about where we want to be employed yeah so when i was looking at all my clinical internships i knew that i wanted a wide base which is why i did them all over the place and I basically just found family that would be willing to have me live with them. I found a PT clinic close to them and I filled out all the application paperwork to try and get there. Cause I figured one thing that would make me very hireable was just experiences in all different kinds of scenarios and showing that I could, I could kind of be wherever. And so, yeah, it's just, it's all about knowing what you want and, and, putting in the work to make sure that it, it looks like you're taking it upon yourself to get there. Were you always outpatient um, PT through and through, you know, I mean, you said you had other rotations and other settings, but um, you know, did you always kind of have in your back of your head that you wanted to be an outpatient PT? hundred percent. So when you can first get to school and they tell you, oh, you may think you want outpatient or you may think you want neuro, but keep an open mind because after you go through your experiences, you'll have a totally different idea. And the whole time I was like, no, I, I came in knowing I wanted outpatient and I graduated knowing that I was in the job for outpatient. So yeah, that was something that I knew from, from the get-go. Now, I know like a lot of our professors, as we've gone through school, they're like, keep in mind that your clinical rotations are, could be extended job interviews. How do you make yourself stand out in those places that you may wanna become employed? I think the key is just ask a lot of questions. At the end of the day, I think they would want to hire someone that is curious because it shows that you're not done learning and you know that. You know that you have a lot to learn and. It also shows that you're very interested in the kind of work that is being, that is happening there. Um, I think that I didn't leave every clinical internship with an official job offer, but left everyone kind of with the, the wink and the nod, like, hey, if you applied here, we, we'd love to have you. And I think it was just asking questions, doing the work, whatever they they ask of you, you know, you just kind of put your head down and do it. Um, I had one CI that really took full advantage of that. Uh, but I decided not to, you know, don't put up the fight because even if it's clearly busy work and he's kind of taking a, maybe a little advantage, I know that in the end, it, I'm just going to learn more. And also it'll, it'll just make me look better in their eyes. And it's just always better to have more opportunities and fewer opportunities. I love that mindset too. Like, cause I feel like the fallacy that at least I've fallen into is you want to show that, you know, all this stuff, but asking questions and being curious can, could come off even better. Yeah. I mean, even with me, I've been practicing now for four years. I still feel like there's more that I don't know than, than that I do know. And I feel like if, I was in a clinic with somebody else watching them practice, I would still be the one asking all the questions. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a situation where I would be like, hey, why don't you try this or do this? Or, hey, I think this. It's me trying to figure out how so many physical therapists have so many different treatment styles and so many different backgrounds. And yet we all get, you know, really good results in our clinics. And I think 
learning from all of those different things is, is the way to go rather than trying to prove what you've already learned. Do you, do you think that you'll ever take students? I would love to, yeah. Um, in my clinic at the government center, it was kind of tough because the real estate that we have is not huge. My actual clinic space is probably, I don't know, like 400 or 500 square feet. And the fact that it's a it's a one-on-one -on -one setting, uh, it could get pretty crowded pretty fast with just even one more body in there. Plus, I was only with that company for three months before COVID hit, and then COVID introduced all kinds of uh, all kinds of new obstacles. So I would love to one day be uh, a CI, or even if not a full CI, just say yes to any shadowing opportunity that that gets asked of me. But in the current situation right now, it's it's been kind of tough. I wanted to go back and kind of touch on something you said a minute ago that I kind of blows my mind about therapy. And it's the fact that like my first CI this summer, day one came in and he was like, just so you know, like everything works. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't matter if you're doing Mackenzie, Maitland, Mulligan, like you name it, like everybody gets better. You know, and I just think that is so like crazy to me and I think a lot of that, so if you could touch on this a little bit, how much of that do you think is more the personal side of therapy than necessarily the physical skill side of it? I think physical therapy is more than 90% personal. Um, like you said, everything works, everybody gets better. Um, and so the thing that really accelerates that is establishing a personal connection with the patient because then you learn exactly how to explain things to the patient. I think a big reason why everything works, or at least for therapists that get good results, is less in the manual therapy that they do. It's even less about the exercises that they prescribe. It's how they're able to relate to their patient and explain to them in a way that they understand what is going on, why does this hurt in the first place, and what is the roadmap to getting better? And just that level of understanding alone removes so much pain and fear and, and things like that. I think most of my results certainly just comes from, from simple explanations. So speaking of making connections, I think this is a good segue into your social media. Um, so obviously you're, you're huge on TikTok. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that came to be? I know we talked before the podcast, but tell our listeners as well. Sure. So as I mentioned, I work in a private one-on-one -on -one setting inside of an office building. And when COVID started, being with another person in a, in a close manner was not going to happen. And also there was nobody at work. So I had nobody to treat. It didn't take long before I got pretty bored and also just felt kind of useless. You know, once you're living and working as a physical therapist, you start to get a lot of self-worth out of helping people every day and making a difference in other people's lives. And when that gets taken from you, it's a little bit of a, a shock and a lonely feeling. And plus I had nothing but free time. And so I said, Hey, I've seen other healthcare people on TikTok, and they're given, they're given out, you know, tips and tricks. And I feel like I could do it just as well as them. And, and so I gave it a go and the first few weeks were a little slow, but then sure enough, all it takes is that one. And I had a post hit the algorithm just right. And it, and it really hit and it accelerated me from 
maybe close to a thousand followers to 20,000 followers. And it's kind of just been growing ever since hasn't really slowed down. And so I haven't, I haven't stopped posting and I don't plan on it. I think that's so awesome to hear like success stories like that, because like our podcast gets like maybe a hundred listeners, but even now we're like, wow, we never thought like a hundred people would listen to this thing. Like when we started, we were like, yeah, we're just going to like mess around and have fun. So it sounds like it's, there's like a lot of similarities, but like, did you ever in your like wildest dreams when you made that first video back in like 2020, whatever, like think that it would grow to the size that it is now? My goal was my pie in the sky goal was I was scared that COVID had threatened my job. I had nobody to treat. I got very lucky that our company qualified for the PPP loan. And so I got to stay on, but if we hadn't qualified for that loan, the clinic probably would have shut down because we were just making no income. And I, I probably would have been laid off. And that terrified me. I had put so much time and money into becoming this physical therapist and it could be taken just like that. And so in brainstorming ways that I could continue to live and work as a physical therapist, one thing that came up was, well, everybody has a phone and I have a camera. Um, I might as well just take a go at this. And then if the pie in the sky goal hits, I could make some actual money from it. And now I, I never once thought that it would get this big. Like in my head, it was like, oh, it'd be nice if I could get in the creator fund or get a few sponsorships and, and maybe one day I'll make enough that it'll pay for my rent every month. Like that'd be amazing. Uh, and like I said, I just haven't stopped. And by the end of the year, I will have made more doing, doing stuff like that and the opportunities that's given me than I will at my real physical therapy job. And I never, ever thought it would get to this point, but it was something that I had in my head that I wanted to eventually try and make money from it. That is so cool. I mean, because not only is it a passion of yours, like trying to help people out and like what better way to be able to reach so many people in a short amount of time than something like TikTok, you know? And then I think just spitballing here, like what it does for the profession too, because that's a big thing is like a lot of people don't know what we do. So at least going forward, maybe more of the TikTok demographic, you know, younger kids will know more about like, hey, physical therapy is more than just like heat, ice, massage, you know? So I think that's awesome. Where do you see, what's the next step? Like for the TikTok page, is there anything else you got up your sleeve? Not for TikTok in particular. Um, I do wanna start putting more time into YouTube uh, making really longer form videos. Uh, I never thought that I'd really be able to make TikToks because I kind of been, I I'm, I'm pretty long winded as a person. I never thought that I could squeeze any kind of information into a 15 second post. Uh, and now I've, I've kind of figured out the, the formula on how to do that, but I really want to lean into who I am and give myself a good 10 to 15 minutes, uh, to talk on things that obviously requires a lot more time, but uh, I think the next step would be exploring opportunities like YouTube or, or writing a book or, or starting a podcast and things like that. Now, with TikTok, I'm sure you are interacting a lot with the public. What have you kind of learned 
about learn from the public, like whether it's their perception of physical therapy or things they don't know about physical therapy, that kind of thing. I think that there's still a very old school view of physical therapy in the minds of the general public. The, you know, pain and torture, the, it really is just hot packs and they don't, they don't really do anything for you. And, and there is, there is kind of that sentiment of it, but then once you post enough and, and they start trying one of the stretches or they try one of the mobilizations or they make the small adjustment to one of their exercises. And then you start getting the comments. Like I never thought, cause you know, as a physical therapist, the amount of information that you can share in 15 to 20 seconds is very, it has to be very simple by design. So to us, what we're sharing is super bare bones, very simple. And then I'll get a comment and it's somebody that says, you know, I've been having this back pain for 10 years. I did this stretch and for the first time and as long as I can remember, I'm not feeling it anymore. And all it was was like a simple QL stretch at the wall. And it's given me a newfound appreciation for just how little information there is out there. And I think it's part of the reason why I've done so well is because I think it's easy for us to take it all for granted when I was thinking about what I would even post on, I was like, well, I could post on this, this, and this, but everybody knows that, like, that's dumb. And sure enough, it's like, oh, no, nobody knows that. It just feels like that everybody knows that because I've been in that world for 10 years. And so a little bit of a new appreciation for how little the people know and how old school the view it is in, in the minds of a lot of people. Yeah, that's funny you say that because the clinic I'm in is very specialized for doing oncology lymphedema rehab. And pretty much every patient that comes in is like, I'm, I don't know why my doctor referred me here. It's like, well, you know, this isn't traditional looking physical therapy, but this is this, this physical therapy, you know? But um, what do you think um, the what am I trying to say? <laughs> um, have you, oh, this is what I wanted to ask. Um, have you kind of created connections with other physical therapists on TikTok and are they kind of seeing the same things or different things, that kind of thing? Oh, a few. Um, I wouldn't say that I've got this whole new network, but there are at least a few other PTs in the space that I follow and we kind of communicate back and forth. Uh, one of whom is a pelvic floor physical therapist. And she's approaching close to 500,000 followers. Her at is Scrambled Jam. Uh, her name is Alicia. And the information that she shares, nobody knows about. No, nobody knows anything about pelvic floor, including myself. And so the kind of things that she's been able to share, and you'll look at her comments and, and she'll tell me about like messages that she's gotten and she like literally changing lives just by taking the time to make a 20 second informational video. It may not even be anything that can help in the moment, but it's something that just says what you're struggling with, I have expertise in and I can help you. And just knowing that they can be helped and maybe just taking that extra step to calling and scheduling an appointment with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yeah, I mean, so you can, you can make a real difference for sure. 
I think what's cool to hear about and, and to see through, through your social media is that, you know, there is a want to look at this kind of stuff and to learn this kind of stuff, even though we might think that everyone knows or that they may find it boring because it's about the human body, that clearly there's a, there's a huge audience for this kind of stuff. Um, but the question that I had, that was more of a comment, but the question I had is like, how much time goes into making a 15 to 20 second video for you? When I first started to make one TikTok, probably, it probably took close to like 15 minutes just to come up with the thought and then think about how I was going to do it and then get all the angles and get anything else I needed. And then to sit down and edit it together and do any voiceover, it probably took maybe 15 to 20 minutes to do one TikTok. And I found it mentally exhausting because I wanted it to be, I wanted it to look good. I wanted it to be good. Uh, but now I've probably gotten that down to, you know, three, three to four minutes. I could probably bang a TikTok out and, and it probably, it doesn't take that much anymore. But when I first started, it just felt like this daunting task and it took a lot, took a lot of mental energy, but now it just, it just kind of, it happens pretty quick. What's the creative process like? Like, do you sit down and do you jot down ideas that you have and then have a day of shooting and kind of backlogging content? Like, what is your creative creative way? So anytime I have a thought and it mostly comes from a patient that I have in the clinic or it comes from friends or family asking me a question about something. Because I know that if I had to explain something to a patient, there's probably other people that need that explained to them. And if I have a question asked of me, that means that there are other people that have that same question. And so anytime I have one of those two experiences, I just, uh, I have a chat with myself and my messages. I just send myself like a little note just so I know where it always is. And then if I get an hour break, uh, because again, I treat one-on-one -on -one for a full hour. So if I don't have a patient in that hour or a patient cancels, it gives me a full hour to do stuff. Uh, I'll go through the messages find uh, find a TikTok that I think I could make pretty easily in the moment. And then I'll, I'll just film as many as I can. So today in the eight hours I had available, I had two open hours and I probably filmed five TikToks. And then I'll post one or two a day, just depending on how many drafts I have. And so today, because I film so many I ended up posting two but for the most part if I'm having a busy week I'll post just one a day was there a lot of energy that went into kind of figuring out like when to post how to you know word it like like basically figuring out the algorithm because I mean I, I know I've heard people say that you know it, it could boil down to hashtags that you use or when you post or things that you do 100% it's a a lot of trial it's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of finding out why posts that did really well, why did they do well? And I mean, I'm not any kind of marketing major or anything like that, but you know, just for like you, we learn how to read studies, you learn how to dissect information and you can, you can kind of figure out, oh, this had a really strong opening or, oh, they threw a joke in right there. Or, or I understand how they could have taken a minute to say this, but they found a way to make their words so economical that they could say it all in 15. And so a mixture of that and then figuring out the hashtags, like you said. So some of the posts that do really well are, I always thought 
in order to do well, I have to post broadly because TikTok shows this to everybody. But TikTok gets so good about knowing what people like what content that if I make a post on dancers hip and I throw in two or three dancer related hashtags, TikTok's going to show that to dancers and it's going to get, it's going to do big views. Um, I found that the, the new mother or just like the mother community on TikTok is also a pretty predictable market for TikToks to do well. And that if I, like I made one on mommy's wrist or I made one on um, some pelvic pain and you throw in some mom hashtags and it's gonna, it's gonna get shown to people who care. And that was probably one of the biggest transitions I made was instead of posting super broadly and not knowing who you're gonna get, find something really specific, add the specific hashtags and then just trust TikTok to do the, to do, to do the rest. That's really cool. I mean, that's like, in a way, it's so simplistic, right? Like just knowing the audience and then doing this, but at the same time, so calculated. I mean, that's just awesome. And just another way to just get to so many people, like just going back on it, like how many moms probably had no idea that a physical therapist of all people can help them, especially one on TikTok. And then Monday afternoon, they're just scrolling after dinner. And like you said, you could literally change lives. I think yeah. that's so cool. Well, and two, if you look at the comments in the mommy wrist one, there are a couple common comments. One is, oh, I had no idea that other people had this. I thought this was just me. Or I went to my doctor for this and he told me there's nothing I can do. It's just part of having a baby. And then here I am saying, well, try this simple immobilization, try this simple hand reaching exercise. And there's a bunch of other things that you can do to help. And it just expands their minds to, to realize that they don't, they don't have to be stuck in pain and that what they're experiencing is validated and, and other people are experiencing that too. And, and yeah, and TikTok puts it in the hands of the people that care. So it's a, it's a really, it's a really great platform for doing that. So off of that, like speaking of certain doctors that might say like, Hey, there's nothing that I can do, or, you know, it's just kind of part of it. How does it work? Like, legality wise on TikTok, I guess, like not giving out like true medical advice, right? Is it more of just like recommendations? Cause I could see like somebody going back to their PCP and being like, Hey, this PT on TikTok, like told me to do this. Right. So like, how does that kind of work? I am very careful. And if you'll, if you go through my videos, you'll catch on. I never tell anybody to do anything. What I do is I present a scenario. If I say, I might say something like, if this happens when you do this, well, you might have this. And here is something that might help. And so in a way I'm presenting information. I'm not saying if you can't twist on your knee, you have a torn meniscus and you need to do this. It's more, here are the signs of a torn meniscus. Here's what you might look for. And if you did have a torn meniscus, here's something that I would do for that. And so I've been very careful with the wording of things to, to make sure that I'm not telling anybody to do anything. I'm presenting information. On, on the same note too, like I, I can't help but think that you're getting a lot of people reaching out to you. Like how do you navigate being there for them without, you know, being able to evaluate them and actually have your hands on them and treat them, you know? 
So it has gotten to the point now where I get too many DMs to even check them anymore. Um, I try to go in and I try to check for DMs from students or prospective students and things like that, things where I can actually give advice. But in terms of the amount of people that I have asking me about specific pains, it's just gotten to the point now where I just have to leave it unread. There were, when I was a little bit smaller and it was a little bit more manageable, I would have a conversation with them and the conversation would always end with find a highly rated physical therapist in your area to, to be seen and evaluated. But it's just, it's just gotten to the point now where it's easier to, to just avoid it altogether. And I just, I just don't answer them. Yeah, no, that's a super smart, smart way of managing that. Do you have any um, like collaborations with like high, high profile, like, I don't know, like people on TikTok or something like that, you think? So because I've done this and I, when I, the second I got like kind of really big, I don't know, I still, I'm still not, not whatever, but when I got to the point to where it would seem like collaborations would be the next step, that's when things got busy again. And so right now I, I literally just have time to, to squeeze out these, these short little videos uh, and still treat my, my full caseload. Uh, and also I, I would never think of myself as an influencer or anything like that. Um, so it just, it, it would seem kind of out of place for me, I think, to, to try and do stuff like that. What other opportunities is this, your platform kind of brought about for you? So the biggest opportunity I have gotten um, was what I traveled to the West Coast for. Uh, what that was, it is a, a really big telehealth physical therapy company, and they provide telehealth physical therapy services to really big places of employment, like Fortune 500 companies, especially companies where the workforce is a lot of times either completely at home or, or a hybrid workforce, they'll provide telehealth physical therapy services for employees that need physical therapy and it can kind of meet them where they're at. They're already on their computer anyway. So they provide the telehealth physical therapy. And this company has gotten all kinds of new investors and it's growing really quickly. And one thing that they wanted to add was uh, a platform where they have pre-made educational content so that people that maybe didn't want to set up an appointment would be able to log on, have really good content made by physical therapists about their issue, very similar to what I kind of do on TikTok. Um, and so they reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in participating with this in any kind of way. And by the end of it, it ended up in me writing 17 scripts that were designed to be about 90 seconds long. And they were going to fly me out to a studio to film it all. And it, that was a, a pretty wild experience. I mean, there was a full production crew. There was makeup. There was a director. There were four cameras. I was reading my scripts off a teleprompter. There was a set there. Uh, the second day, all of the movements and stretches and exercises that I had written, we had a model come in and the model ran through them all. And, and it was a, it was a wild experience and it ended up, you know, paying me quite a bit of money. And so now the next step is 
um, do I can do I pursue this side of things because now I'm comfortable enough to do that. I don't necessarily have to have this full caseload anymore. Um, do I explore what it would look like to do this on a full-time basis and then maybe partner with a gym and, and get in and treat in person two times a week and, and something like that. Uh, so that's definitely the, the biggest opportunity that has come my way. And then other opportunities are just, you know, sponsorship deals and, and the creator fund and, and things like that. But this has been the most unique and, and, and life-changing experience for sure. So you strike me as a guy that kind of has where, where he wants to go in his head at all times. Do, is your goal passive income and being able to retire and kind of just do your own thing? Or do you see yourself maintaining some sort of caseload at all times? I think I wouldn't do well if I didn't have at least a small caseload. Uh, I think the least amount of people that I could see was kind of like I said, maybe once or twice a week, just one-on-one -on -one for an hour, cash-based, um, just to still have that experience. I do think that long-term, my skill set lends itself more to this kind of thing. Uh, but I do think that no matter where I end up, I will always find way to, to treat patients. And again, I mean, I'm also very realistic about the scenario. I had this great opportunity, but it's also a very specific opportunity. This company was looking to make something that I just happened to be doing really well at in the moment. And so we partnered and it, yeah, it ended up in a good amount of money, but I'm also still constantly waiting for the wheels to fall off and for people to stop caring and, and all this to fizzle away. And then I just ended up being a normal physical therapist again. And it's kind of the first time where, I don't know if it's just a, a lack of belief in myself or just a, a recognition of seeing people get really big and then all of a sudden they're nothing. And so I know that it can, it can be taken at any point. And so I, I'm exploring it as far as it will go, but I'm always ready for it to, for people to stop caring and, and for me just to go back to being a normal PT. That's a great, great way of looking at it. Yeah. Cause you don't want to just put all your chips into one basket. No, absolutely. Right. And Honestly, I could definitely see you switching up or not switching, but adding YouTube to it. Cause I mean, just from this 40 something minute conversation we've had, you lend yourself to that long form format in a big way. Yeah. And that's always been the goal is that, and you know, YouTube, that's where the real money is made anyway. Uh, I mean, TikTok, like the TikTok creator fund is peanuts compared to a YouTube creator that does really well. Uh, it just takes, it takes so much time to make a good YouTube video. And it's, it's time that I don't have at the moment, but if things play out and I do have that free time, that is the first thing that I will lend my myself to is, is making the longer form content. Do you see social media as kind of being a, almost a turning point in our profession, you know, getting the public more educated about what we do and really um, establishing our role in the healthcare field? I don't see why not. Uh, my girlfriend is an orthodontist and we had a talk that, especially if you, if you work in a practice and you have even just a little bit of interest in social media, it, at this point it would almost be 
oh, I don't know what the word for it would be. It would be irresponsible not to have a separate page for you as a practitioner just to share things because it puts your name out there. It allows you to, to hone your craft and hone your explanations. It allows you to show what you're good at and what you're interested in. And that will attract patients that you want to see because you're only putting out stuff that you find interesting. And worst case, you're just taking an extra few hours out of your week to, to make some videos. So there's there literally, there's no downside whatsoever. It's all upside. And if you're doing it about stuff that you're interested in, it's gonna be fun. Like it's gonna be a fun time. And so I think the future of healthcare is ev almost every, not every PT, but a lot of PTs, a lot of chiros, a lot of dentists, they're all gonna have a page for their practice. And they're all gonna be trying to do this because again, it's just minimal to no downside. It's all upside. And if things break, if things break right, like they have for me, then it can create a whole bunch of cool opportunities. That's awesome. So almost out of time, but a couple more things. First of all, I got, I mean, we have to ask, I think, what, what's the favorite TikTok that you've ever posted? Do you have a favorite? <laughs> so if I had to pick my favorite, I think the one that really that I was the most proud of uh, was a, when WAP was big, the WAP dance was going around TikTok. I took all the positions that you'd get in the WAP dance and I turned them into stretches. And every time I watched it, like I laughed. And I think it, I think it ended up doing uh, like a little over a million views. So it's far from my most watched, but that is the one that I think I had the most fun thinking about. And I had the most fun rewatching it before I posted it. That's awesome. I mean, because I think something that's so important, I think, just being a student and being a couple of rotations is to be able to engage people's interest and like making it fun. So what better way, especially for this like demographic of people that you're trying to hit to like make it fun. And like I can imagine them doing like the WAP dance, but then like some 12th grader somewhere is like, yeah, I'm stretching my hip flexors right now. Right. And like, I yeah. think that's just that's super cool. I love it. I love it. All right. Last question we got to ask. So the kind of theme of our show is what has your defining moment or set of moments kind of been in your career thus far that's kind of let you know, like, hey, I know I chose the right profession. I will always say that a busy outpatient physical therapy practice is the best place to learn, not only in a clinical, but as a new practitioner, you get all kinds of experience, you treat all kinds of walks of life, you get a bunch of different diagnoses, you, you, you're treating different socioeconomic statuses, you're, you're learning how to manage how to fit three patients in one hour and, and write notes. Uh, your time management skills are going crazy. And also, if you work for a big chain, they'll provide to you a lot of opportunities to get continuing education hours in. A lot of in-person classes, online classes, they're, they're gonna wanna invest in you to become a better PT and they have the money to do it because they're a large chain. But once you're in that line of work for a while, it becomes exhausting. And to be honest, I don't know how anybody does it for any prolonged period of time. 
when I was at my first job, I was a clinic director. I had five employees under me. And there were times where I was treating, it wouldn't be uncommon to have 20 patients in a day. And especially at peak hours, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to have four or five patients in the clinic at one time. I felt overworked. I felt undervalued. I felt like my patients weren't getting as, as good as they could be getting because they're just caught in the nature of the beast. Uh, I felt like I was falling behind and it just wasn't a great scenario. And I was looking for jobs outside of the industry because I wasn't quite sure where to go. I knew I didn't, I didn't have the nest egg to open my own practice. I didn't have the, the gall, I guess, to take a leap like that. And so I was looking for, for jobs outside the industry because I, I just didn't know what else to do. And then I got recruited for this job at the government center. And the second that I was able to treat patients in a one-on-one -on -one setting, take advantage of all the things that I had learned over the past couple of years, take advantage of all the diagnoses that I had treated, all the different people that I had treated, take advantage of the connections that I had made with doctors and everything that that job granted me to finally be able to take advantage of it in a one-on-one -on -one setting. That's when I knew that I was meant to be a physical therapist. Like this is what I wanna be doing. This is awesome work. It's just that the setting that I was in didn't align with my personality or, or how I envisioned everything going. And that was a huge turning point for me because I no longer ever see myself doing anything other than physical therapy. It's just that it got really lost in the moment when there was just so much going on and that a chain that big, the almighty dollar was the only thing that mattered it became very clear very quickly that if patients got better, whatever, like it was cool, but that wasn't what mattered to them. What mattered to them were how many patients were in the clinic. And I just, and the dichotomy of going from that to working in a place like where I'm now, where I am now, that was my, I'm, I'm meant to be a PT moment. That is awesome. be one of the better defining moment explanations that we've ever had on this podcast. I'm telling you, get on a long form social <laughs> media, man. You are so good at speaking and explaining things. Wow. Dan, thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun to hear about. Thank you so much. Hey, it's been a pleasure. I'm happy I came on.